so my research found that, and I started this research just as micro-influence started to be a known phenomenon. It was all about the macro-influences, example, bikini models who had and probably even bought hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. I wanted to focus on the individual's who had niche following. So some of the people that I interviewed, I only had 2,000 followers right through to about 200,000 followers. Those individuals also were micro-influencers because they engaged their network and they knew where their network was and they had a focus on what their message was. So in saying that, when coming back to your question, do you have to be across everything? No, you need to be across your audience and where they are and what will keep them engaged with the content that you want to share. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Download the app today. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I have the amazing and most beautiful Dr. Lisa Harrison. She's a dedicated researcher and educator specializing in the study of micro-influences within the creative industries. Currently, she's associated with the prestigious Queensland University of Technology, and she deciphers the dynamics of the digital landscape and elucidates the role of micro-influencers in shaping contemporary culture. Honestly, if you are using social media, you're going to be blown away by today's podcast. Her research is particularly notable for her pioneering focus on micro-influencers and their engagement within niche online communities. Her groundbreaking thesis on the subject has provided new and profound insights into the professional practices of these micro-influencers. Beautiful Lisa has developed a comprehensive theoretical model that redefines the five dimensions of micro-influence. This model, pivotal in identifying the key skills, knowledge, and capabilities required for effective communication in the modern culture, is an industry game changer. She has done a lot of rigorous and innovative research. She offers valuable insights into the impact of micro-influences in today's digital landscape. She's also well-equipped to help us to understand why they have become so effective in their chosen professions. Dr. Harrison has made significant contributions to the understanding of her role of these influences in the creative industry, and she is paving the way for the practical applications of micro-influencing in a myriad of professional fields. Look, to sum it all up, this amazing woman is an established expert in her field, known for her research work, tenacious curiosity, and as a generous spirit with, as an educator. She is not just illuminating the way for future researchers, but is also shaping the narrative of the role of these micro-influences in the digital world. 
She is powerful. She's had over 15 years developing and delivering marketing campaigns designed to build awareness, consideration, and demand to achieve organizational objectives through quality relationship marketing programs that always secure strong outcomes. What I absolutely love about this woman is that she is passionate still, even though with online marketing and the online world, she is very much about connection, love, being in human, in touch, in person with other beings. We talk all sorts from online, different online platforms, all the way through to artificial intelligence. You're going to love her mind, the way she thinks and explains things. And I sincerely at hopes, I hope it helps you parents uh, concerned about the digital platform for your kids and your teenagers. She's a powerhouse, and I cannot urge you to listen and share this more, more than ever in today's world. Uh, we do talk positives and also the, the not-so-positive aspects of social media and with some ideas in here on how to help navigate your way through those. So if you enjoy this week, please make sure you tune in too and share it off all the beautiful uh, podcast platforms. You can also head on over to my Instagram page, Kim Morrison and the number 28. You can go over to Facebook, Kim Morrison Training, or head on over to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for allowing me to do what I love the most, which is to bring beautiful souls like Lisa to your ears each and every week. And I thank you wholeheartedly for your five-star rating. It means the world. Take care, be kind. Well, as you can hear, an incredible soul this week, someone who I've looked up to for many, many years and someone I've had the pleasure of being at different events with and gotten to know on a personal level. But the beautiful Lisa Harrison is way more than her job or even her role as a mom and an influencer herself. She is an exquisite human being and I welcome you to the Self Love Podcast, Gorgeous Lisa. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, so look, we, well, I know, and I think this is something we've been wanting to do for a while, and it's a fascinating time we're both in right now. We've been speaking off air, but before we get into perhaps where we can go down the rabbit hole together on love, life, and business, you could just give us a brief background. Who is Dr. Lisa Harrison, and how did she get into the work that she's doing today? Wow. Okay. So... Um, I actually didn't really know what I wanted to do until I was about 26 and I was promoted into a junior marketing role in a recruitment agency and this was in the year 2000. So um, for those that are old enough, we remember that um, Y2K was a very scary time for people, particularly within um in that had anything to do with internet or software development and that type of thing the whole world was going to collapse <laughs> um and so that the recruitment in that space uh was a huge booming industry and um and I fell in love with marketing at that time and I was lucky enough then to get a role uh at head office in at Birch Caron Coil and and work with um, distributors and movie uh, reviewers and 
uh, and media and and really take my my career to the next level and um, that was a really fun time. That was the best job I've ever had. And it, um, I finished that roll up because Grady Union uh, purchased Birch Carroll and Coyle and then merged the office down in Sydney. And I wanted to to stay in Brisbane and and I always wanted to move to the Sunshine Coast actually as well. Um, but after my role at Birch Carroll and Coyle, I then started at the Echo. So I worked for the Royal National Association, um, working on several events there, marketing and PR specifically for those events. Um, And I loved that role as well. But as you can imagine, during ECA time, I I worked 14-hour days for about 12 weeks um, and I fell pregnant at the same time with my first child and I had the worst morning sickness. So whenever I think of that job, all I can think about is the morning sickness and the smell of horse manure and and dagger dogs. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting experience in in itself as well. Um, Then I was fortunate enough to have my beautiful son Landon and um, be a mother and have my second child Ella a couple of years later. Unfortunately my marriage broke up at that time. Um, I found out that my their father was um, having an affair while I was pregnant so that uh, changed my aspect on life and I had a really beautiful lovely person which I don't have any contact with anymore but think about her a lot who was a very spiritual um, person psychic medium who showed me um, that the spiritual aspect of my life and she really supported me through that transition of uh, becoming a single mother and I bless her for for that uh, coming into my life for that. Um, and at that same time, that's when Facebook was like LinkedIn was around, but Facebook was also uh, starting to become more popular. It was like this is around two thousand and six, and for me as a single mother, feeling very isolated. Um, breastfeeding in the middle of the night, etc., and just catching disease whenever I could. I found Facebook was a fantastic way to feel connected to my friends and family, and it gave me the um, a little bit of an outlet uh, from the darkness that I was in at the time. And as my children uh, grew and became more independent. Uh, I saw it as an opportunity to combine my marketing skills and my curiosity in in running my own business um, and saw that this new communication tool had the potential to support business, not just individuals. And that's where my interest in social media marketing and digital marketing, because I did it already, um, have that digital marketing experience from my previous roles. Um, but this was then uh, added to that. So I spent some time um, t- teaching myself about social media, 
um, and how it can be used, attending conferences, networking, doing all those types of things you do when you, you first want to start a business. And what was really um, the, the greatest, I suppose, benefit of doing that is I could juggle this business around my children and and what was going on with my family as well. And I think that's why there's a lot of women who have been able to make a career with social media because it does give you that flexibility around being a mum as well. Um, And then I um, was fortunate enough to move to the Sunshine Coast finally in 2008 um, and the, my partner at the time also had um, a business and we decided to to support each other's businesses. So he was more into web, web development and the graphic design side of things and I was doing the strategic marketing and it was a really good fit at the time. And then through networking I met people such as yourself, Kim, and also um, the lovely um, mutual friend of ours, Nikki Parkinson, So, um, who also had a fascination with um, her. Well, she was focused on blogging at the time, actually, uh, and Twitter. And between the two of us, we started doing workshops um, on the Sunshine Coast to support local businesses because we could see the benefit um, some businesses were scared potentially of the con- uh, some positive and negative consequences, which is normal, you know, when you are in a small business to you've got to weigh up those pros and cons. Um, so, yeah, so for, I can't remember now, but we ran quite a few different workshops on blogging and, and Twitter together and supported each other uh, through that Nikki then um, moved to Brisbane and her blog, as if anyone's followed her um, Styling You um, brand, has just gone gangbusters since and um, I'm so proud of her and what she's achieved. Um, I continued to do workshops um, to support local businesses and also to uh, educate them on the opportunities and then for some of those businesses they then would use me to to manage their social media as it is a time-consuming role um, or I would mentor them through through the process. Um, when I think it was about 2010 I met the beautiful Karen Smith who's also a mutual friend of ours and um, I did some of her workshops and, and through her workshops I was able to grow my confidence in public speaking and, and refining my story and developing a personal brand through um, putting myself out there. And, and, and I suppose that, and I know this podcast is called Self Love, but I think just taking that time to... Um, develop my uh, story was a that was a very uh, life changing time in my life to to clarify and and to define where I was and where I would like to go. Um, and through that, I 
decided that just delivering workshops um, wasn't quite... Mm, I could see that there's more opportunity. There was people like myself who had degrees in, in communications and, and marketing and things like that. Um, but they, when we did those degrees, there was no social media marketing. So to um, to take advantage, I suppose, of this gap in the market, I actually wrote a certificate for in business um, and contextualised it to um, social media business and marketing and business. Um, and I uh, created some joint ventures with um, a local RTOs, so registered training organisations, um, also Australian Institute of Management, uh, Commerce Queensland, uh, eventually, I saw also TAFE Queensland. So I delivered my training through those those different uh, organisations, which also gave me um, a lot of insight into education and and the gaps in in education um, through marketing and and personal branding. And I had a lecturer from uni. I went to QUT and. Uh, and what time would that have been? That would have um, been about 2014 or, yep, and um, they reached out and said the work that I've done uh, is worthy of a, a professional doctorate, that he could see how I had started from scratch and researched and developed and then contributed to industry and, and made an impact in industry. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. He said, it'll be easy. You've done all the hard work. And, uh, oh, boy, he <laughs> uh, that, uh, it was definitely not easy. Um, what I struggled with in the process was converting all my marketing communication skills to academic language and developing and trying to run my business alongside writing academic literature um, thesis. Uh, so I took some time off in 2018 uh, to, per, to focus purely on my thesis so that I could um, ensure that I was a very, it was a rigorous part uh, piece of research. And I sold my business at that time as well. Uh, and it all kind of fell into place. And then, you know, my children were getting late into high school. They needed a little bit more time from me, from me, and you know, focus. Um, so I was able to to do that with my partner at the time. And unfortunately, in two thousand and twenty, that relationship broke up. So I found myself um, a single mum again, and still trying to finish my PhD. But I had financially kept myself uh, above water. I think that's the only thing that has really kept me um, independent is having that financial stability behind me. So I was able to finish my PhD um, and graduated in uh, the end of 2022 
And uh, last or oh, two weeks ago, I actually also just submitted my revised thesis. It, I revised it into a book um, and submitted that to Springer Palagrave Publishing over in Singapore. So they they offered me a contract at the beginning of the year, which I was very excited and honoured to accept. So hopefully in the not too distant future, I'll um, have my own published book out there. Uh, so, yeah, so, Kim, that's, I don't know, Phenomenal is what it is. It's freaking <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> I'm sitting here holding on to every word going, wow, women are just amazing. So are you men, of course. But there's just something about women and their focus, their determination, their absolute desire to keep moving forward no matter what's going on in life. And you've been hit a few times with some big challenges. Mm. And what I admire so wholeheartedly about you is just your desire to keep growing from that. There's no accidents in life, I'm sure you'll agree. There's certainly a lot of serendipity and synchronicity, and you've mentioned that already, just even with that beautiful spiritual lady coming along at the right time, perhaps even the partner that you had at the right time, and even at ending at the right time. It's just very hard for us to feel that, see that, and be a part of that when you're in the middle of it, maybe lying on your bathroom floor in tears. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, how the heck did you just keep breathing through all of that, along with doing your PhD, being a mum, a single mum to two teenagers? Was there any strategy that you now sit and reflect on and look back on and go, yeah, actually, I was bloody brilliant. I did do this. I am pretty amazing. I mean, I just, I want to high five you if you're not willing to, but I'm sure there's other people listening to this feeling the same, but was there any strategy for you to keep moving forward or was it just dogmatic determination to be there for your kids? Definitely the kids absolutely are the, the centre of my world. But I actually, interestingly enough, a couple of weeks ago had a girlfriend send me a message going, how do you juggle it all? Like you've created so much um, and still being a mom and et cetera, et cetera. So a very similar question to, to this one. Um, and my advice to her was actually don't judge yourself. If you have a day where you just feel like shit and you don't want to get out of bed, and to be honest, last week I had a couple of those, I just let it happen. Um, and I've learned that by listening to my body and when it's most productive to use that time then. Um, and know that that time, when that time is. So when I'm in the flow of things, I know that, you know, getting up and having my routine and, and getting in and getting the day started, having a few hours where I can, my brain is totally focused on, on getting something achieved. Um, then I'll do a meditation and have some lunch. Sometimes I even have a little nap um, and then I find myself, getting into that flow again in the afternoon like and luckily now my children have their own cars and I don't need to do the school run and things like that that was very disruptive um but yeah and in that afternoon period uh and using that as my productive time but then in other times just doing those menial tasks where 
your brain's not, you know, on fire, but you might just go and cook dinner or you might just do invoicing or, you know, just do a couple of those things that where you it doesn't take much thought process or strategy and things like that. So that's what I suppose on top of having the determination around my kids, I think it's also having that self-awareness of when your body is the most productive. Oh, it's so powerful because some people say they're really productive at night. Some yeah. people say they're really productive. I know for me probably my most productive time is between 4.30 and 9.30 in the morning. Um, it's also the time where I like to go to the gym and like to do things. But those are probably, and it changes at the moment. I've probably gone more into, it's more after the gym, so 7.30 till 11.30. And then I find myself also a bit drained and cooked. But I think we're looking at screens all the time. We're on our phones. There's a lot of Wi-Fi. There's a lot of other factors that can fatigue us. And also, I think it's so important, as you say, either go for a walk or to meditate, have a bit of lunch and nap. It's an incredible, powerful form. And you've mentioned the word already, discipline. Mm. To actually achieve a degree, let alone a PhD, and to write your thesis and now a book, that's taken a massive amount of discipline. What about when you were in the throes of despair or in a relationship breakup, or perhaps there was a financial, maybe it might have been a little tweak or a, a worry at some point? Like, how the hell do you stay focused and disciplined on something like a thesis when you're actually feeling like total shite? Um, well, I did actually give myself time off from the thesis at one point because of that. Um, I knew I was burnt out and I accepted that. Um, and I spoke to my supervisors and, and they supported that and extended my my timeframes um, because, again, you need to listen to your body and, you know, it doesn't have to be a rush. I, I believe in the journey is just as important as the end result. Um, having that, that goal uh, and not putting that pressure on myself to have it like I, I continually did put pressure on myself to have it done by a certain date, but I was, I always had plan B. And this is what I've had in business as well, a plan B. So then if you're, um, you know, faced with something that, and you know this being in small business, like there's things that just happen outside of your realm that you, you just have to deal with. So by having a plan B, you might not need to use it, but then it just gives you that confidence just to keep going and, and focus on that end goal. Would you say then that's always have preparation? You know, you're like when, from a business point of view, we look at SWOT analysis, we look at the risks, we look at exit strategies, we look at how we can be our best version, what are the mistakes, what are the problems, how can we learn? You go through all of those and whilst it might feel negative, the fact that you address them means that if they do come up, you're prepared. Mm. So your plan B is all about preparation and alternatives and giving yourself that option. Is that the same? Would you apply that to life as well, not just business and doing a thesis? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, I do that. Even, even in my marketing strategies, it's all, I've always got a plan B um, with my kids um you know having having that awareness of other than what's just in front of you and that perception of you know can it be done a better way curiosity right? I think of um 
when we're offline, you, you even talked about you want you have curiosity that and this is why you're doing these podcasts. So, you know, that's a big factor, I think, as well. So true. And I think that word is such a powerful one. If we can stay in the inquiry mm. of life, we can actually find ourselves um rather than getting so hell-bent on how bad it is, but get curious on, wonder why this happened at this time, right here, right now. (laughs) I think that's a challenge. So talk to us a little bit. I want to go back to this thesis. Can Uh you tell us a little bit about, like, social media? Most of us have a grip on it that where there's different platforms, and just as you get used to a platform, something else comes in. I can just say that from a Threads point of view of Instagram. I'm like, bloody hell, I just get used (laughs) to one and there's another thing um but there's so many platforms in your humble opinion with the work that you've done and your understanding are each of them do they each have their own place and benefit or is it important to be across all of them what's your thoughts from the perspective of social media what's the most important okay so i might just contextualize my thesis a little bit first because i've focused purely on like freelancers, creative practitioners. So that could be any individual who would like to to become a micro-influencer but, or not necessarily be a micro-influencer but use it as a business platform to manage their own career. So in that perspective, as an individual, it's very different from a company perspective. Uh, so my research found that and I started this research just as micro-influence started to be a known phenomenon. Um, it was all about the, the I suppose, m- macro-influences, example, bikini models or uh, who had and probably even bought hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. Um, I wanted to focus on the individual's had niche following so some of the people that I interviewed only had 2,000 followers right through to about 200,000 followers um, and those individuals also were micro influencers because they engaged their network and they knew where their network was and they had a focus on what their message was so in saying that, when coming back to your question, do you have to be across everything? No, you need to be across your audience and where they are and what will keep them engaged with the content that you want to share. Uh, and that could, you know, some of these people that I spoke to um, mainly just used Twitter. Um, some just use Facebook, some used three um facebook instagram and linkedin um so it de- it depends on your your end goal so a lot of my r- research is to try and support individuals on understanding firstly why are you even using social media focus on your goal and what you want out of social media don't let social media rule your world if that makes sense. Yes, it does, because so many of us, and I guess right across the board from the minute people get a phone, 
as mm. young teenagers all the way through, it is a massive distraction. Mm. And I also look at what some people do. They put a hell of a lot of time and energy into it, either answering questions, um, sharing content, sharing products, sharing information, sharing quotes. It's powerful. But it is very easy to get drawn into and sucked into um, mm. just scrolling and not contributing. And so I have a rule for myself. I will scroll socials for a while as if I've just picked up a magazine to read it if I was waiting in a clinic somewhere. And I love it for that. Sometimes it's just such a nice time waster and just such a beautiful way to just look at what's on, look at what others are doing. But my whole attitude to it is unless I'm contributing, I don't want to just be a consumer. And my contribution for me, social media has always been about, it's just been a diary for me and sharing what I do and how I do it. It seems to be of interest to people, what I do with the oils and how I care for myself and my family, the food, the recipes and all these things, which has always staggered me that people would be interested in that. But then I'm fascinated and interested in other people doing the same thing. (laughs) So when it came for you and having teenagers and, you know, navigating your way through this, obviously studying it from an influencer point of view, how important is it to you as opposed to being a scroller or a consumer as opposed to a contributor? Oh, absolutely, 100%. Uh, and I do find that I can, you know, fall down that rabbit, rabbit hole, particularly when uh, my days are a little bit challenging. But, um, I think with my children um, and they have been obviously a core part of my research as well and how they engage with social media. Um, I remember I think Landon was in grade nine or something and I said, oh, you're allowed to have Snapchat but we need to share it so I could just, you know, you're using it. Um, and he said, oh, okay, cool. Didn't take him long to, to shut me out but, um, yeah, it was um, a funny time. <laughs> um, but also my participants in, that I interviewed had some some strategies as well around this and and then it also reflects on mental health and it goes there's a whole massive um, need for research down this mental health avenue um, because a lot of people are just scrollers and aren't aware of why or what they're doing and some of the participants in my research actually used apps to turn so um, social media off or didn't have it on their phone or um, you know had some sort of strategy to manage their time around using social social media and being more productive at the time because this research I started in 2018. Um, you know, we didn't have threads and um, I could pretty much, I, I really only could use Twitter as a re, as a data source because of the privacy around all the APIs and things like that. So, um, so and the influencers that I spoke to had been, because they'd been on Twitter, they'd been early adopters of social media. So they'd had a long time to sort of work out their own strategies um, another interesting point, which is 
it's similar to the mental health issues, trolling that has occurred to some of these and how how the gender divide is was came up very clear in my research that women for some reason seem to be trolled way um, more dramatically than the men and I even um, interviewed uh, you may have heard of Ben Law he's a, a, a scriptwriter and um, gay uh, activist and all that sort of stuff he he even recognized that women get uh, more trolled more than he was he felt so with regards to his messaging things like that but he likes to be very controversial on, on social media it's funny <laughs> I love I love that. And I love the fact that social media gives us a platform to have an opinion. But mm. the trolling side of things, and I was like that was one of my next questions. The mm. trolling side of it, and I've got written here comparisonitis. Mm. There's two sides to this where we can look at social media and feel we're not doing it anywhere near as good as someone else, particularly if you're having a bad day. Like you just said, when we get into scrolling forever and it seems to be everyone else has the perfect life or everyone else seems mm. to be doing it better or everyone else seems to be making money. And then you get this horrible sense of not being good enough or comparisonitis and everything else. But then just when you might be just getting yourself through it, someone could put a nasty comment mm. on something you've put up or someone says something nasty and they're, they're real keyboard warriors a lot of the time. But I'm just always fascinated, Lisa, that if I was always taught, if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say it at all kind of thing. Mm. So I'm intrigued. And is there anything in behind it as to why people think they have a right to have a voice to say something so, and it's not just even disagreeing with someone, it's downright nasty, it's swearing, it's vicious. What What's the mentality or your thoughts, if you know, around that? Yeah, um, and it's interesting to see that even different platforms have different levels of those that type of behaviour. So when I talk, I've done a lot of work with local government um, gone out to do different councils and, and work with elected members. And we, I've found through through that is like I walked into, and I won't mention the council, but I walked into the chambers where they were, we were doing the workshop and had all the elected members there. And this one councillor said, I'm getting death threats on Facebook. And I'm, you know, what do I do about that? Like wanting me to to solve his problem. Um, and um, I said, well, that's a policeman. You need to go to the police. You know, it, it's it it is serious. Um, and it's not to be ignored. The other advice I also give, if that's the case for for someone, if they don't, if they're getting that kind of lash uh, backlash on. A social media channel, which tends to be Facebook more than anything, you'll probably notice that it's not very often on Instagram and hardly ever happens on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is my recommendation for these people because LinkedIn has, it's a very supportive community and the way they've set it up with regards to, you know, celebrate anniversaries that come up in your notices and things like that have created that more supportive um yeah community and if you're getting backlash 
um, and particularly, like I said, happens on Facebook and Twitter because Twitter can be quite political as well, then just get off it. You don't need to be there. You don't want people, you don't need that in your life. You can make a choice. Is it true that whatever you put up there or whatever someone else has put up there, police or forensics have a way of always seeing it? So, in other words, if someone's put something up there and then all of a sudden they realise, oh, maybe it's not so good or maybe they want to take it down or whatever, is it true that it's always accessible? Is it once it's out there, it's always out there? No. Um, and this is where there's a lot of regulation, government regulation that needs to be cleared up around all, all, all of that, um, particularly with, oh, what, that was something recent. Oh, with the youth crime and how they're videoing what they're doing and, yes. um, yeah, and and it's going live and it's actually, you know, supporting their, what they think it's cool and, and things like that. Um, you know, so for the government is trying to work with these social media platforms to alleviate the, this problem. But, um, no, so with, but with local government and that, that particular situation, there's actually a platform called Balloon, I believe, starts with B anyway, that they actually legally have to link it to this app where it records all that information as well. And that covers the councillors as well as um, the community or whoever um, that posts things on, on there so that if there is any... Um, activity that is not acceptable then then it can be it is recorded sweetheart um, what was that app again what was it it's actually not an app it's a it's a software program just ah. for government um and i think it's called balloon um yeah and how does how how do we protect our kids though how do we protect them from, I guess, like girls can be mean at high school, boys can be real jerks at high school, someone does something wrong and, and then all of a sudden you get slandered with messengers or you get put you know, comments put up or someone puts a photo up. Like how are we protecting our children from this? So when I was, my kids were younger and more vulnerable, I used a, and I'm just trying to Google it, but it was called... Corsado or something, um, and I'll present it to another um, another girlfriend to use. It costs fifty dollars a month, and it's not cheap. It's no, but it's actually really it's worth it, and you can see exactly what um, what is going on online for them. There's a few apps. What as a parent, we can as see parent, that. Okay. Yeah, as a parent, yeah. Um. It's quite an incredible thing that if we can have something that we know we can talk, and this is why I wanted to get you on too, that as parents, when our children are so distraught or upset by something that's happened on socials, that we have tools and we're armed with the information on how to make sure that the perpetrator is you know, held accountable or mm. that they themselves, your children, are responsible for what they do and say. So is it important to you or do you think it's getting worse? Is it getting harder or has this been really changed? Because I keep linking it back, as you said, with the mental health side of things. Mm. Sadly and tragically, there's a lot of people that are very badly affected by this. And I think it's an incredibly important topic here 
So please tell us what you think from that perspective with being a parent and also, um, you know, what's how do we support them with their mental health? Mm. So I just found the app. It's um, Q-U-S-T-O-D-I-O, Corsado, Corsado, um, for anyone who's interested in that. You can monitor your, your kids' online activities and turn, you know, the amount of time that they have access to it, et cetera, et cetera. And you can then also have those conversations with your kids if something pops up. So part, I think that's the key is having conversations with your children around that. Interestingly enough, I mentioned earlier that I was doing workshops around Twitter and blogging for business. I also was doing parent workshops. So I would go into schools um, you know, like a 6.30 on a Wednesday night, very accessible for parents and hardly any parent would turn up. It was really hard to get the parents engaged in this conversation. It's almost like they wanted to avoid it or just didn't see it as a priority. Um, That's going back 10 years though, mind you, so I'm hoping that it's different now but and, yeah. and to be fair to the parents because it wasn't in our world certainly mm. wasn't around when we were teenagers there's a disconnect isn't there there's no mm. association to it until there's a problem until someone's mm. hurt or until someone sadly tragically dies because of it and I guess that over the last 10 years has happened so much more so I'm curious and wondering whether or not that has improved I certainly hope so from your perspective mm. yeah yeah, um, unfortunately, I don't think it has. <laughs> it's it it and it's really disappointing, and I don't know why that is. And there's also another aspect of social media that I find it really hard to get engagement in um, is the customer service side of things. So, social media for anyone, um, any business, the customer service side of is can be done really effectively and can actually be a marketing tool. But to do, like I've done, called the workshop, you know, social media and customer service, but it's just not, I don't know, people don't find that as an important topic either. So there's these aspects that um, that, that can be used very productively to support the brand, but they almost see the risk and they're scared of answering negative questions, in, you know, in that uh, public forum when, in fact, if it's done strategically and and proactively rather than reactively it's a fantastic marketing tool for them yeah it's amazing so sweetheart just is there somewhere if someone's listening to this is, is it the police that you'd reach out to if you weren't sure even for yourself personally as an influencer yeah. or someone if there is any sort of trolling or negativity or threats or anything like that you just go straight to the police Oh, absolutely, hundred um, percent. I imagine you take screenshots. Yeah, people yeah. Can remove their comments. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah. I did have a. My daughter had a boyfriend. Um, uh, probably this occurred probably twelve months ago, and he was actually blackmailed with a uh, a photoshopped photo of himself doing something inappropriate. I never saw the photo, but he was devastated. Um, and yes, he went, took it straight to his mother, helped him as well. Um, luckily he reached out to his mother. Um, but he also reached out to Ella and I in case it did go public, but the, 
the blackmail was he, he had to pay $1,000 for this photo not to go um, out onto social media. So there's things like that oh, to be aware of as yeah. parents as well. Mm. Again, we know there's negatives and I know you and I, there's, there's these are day, day long workshops and conversations that you're having, but there's a lot of positive with social media and there's a lot of beautiful platforms. If you could summarize what each of the platforms, what they're best for, like mm-hmm. I know Twitter is a very quick, you know, comment. I think it's still 168 characters or whatever it is. Um, you know, LinkedIn seems to be more for business, but what, what are all the platforms? If you could give them an umbrella, what are the best ones to look at for what and why? Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, so Twitter still isn't that popular in Australia, but it's becoming more useful, particularly within the blockchain community. So a couple of years ago, I actually was um, the lead market strategy marketing strategist for a blockchain marketing agency, which was a huge learning curve. But Twitter is so huge in in that in that space. Um, and to continue just in that space, you've got Discord. And hang on, hang on. You better tell us for some people maybe listening to this going, what's blockchain? Blockchain. Oh, okay, yes. So blockchain is, well, you would have heard of cryptocurrency. So blockchains are technology, uh, a, a little bit like the internet, but it's very much um, where you, it, it, it's a coded language where it's independent of one particular person. So there'll be a chain that'll link onto a chain that'll link onto a chain, and each of those chains have different types of information depending on what it's used for. So basically with crypto, you know, you buy um, Bitcoin is the most uh, common, well, the first one, Bitcoin, um, and you might buy a Bitcoin off someone else and there's always a record of where that Bitcoin has gone, right, um, which is going to disrupt a lot of industries, um, but the regulation and the the amount of people who can actually code it properly, uh, it all needs to develop a lot more before we see it, um, any huge effect. And also we've seen a dip in the value of any cryptocurrency at the moment as well. So that has um, impacted how quickly the the market or that technology would develop. Um, So there's a whole sort of niche community that talk about crypto or blockchain um, and they tend to use uh, Twitter. There's a platform called Discord. which is also free. How would I describe Discord? It's kind of like a kind of like a Facebook, but it has its own little tweaks. Um, you, you you set up your own server, and um, then you can set up different topics underneath that as well. Um, so Discord, um, and then you've got things like Reddit, which is like those news style platforms where people put up information and then you, you you get comments on it and you get credibility and you get points and, and things like that. I must admit, you know, I've only played a little bit with Discord and Reddit, so um, there will be p- other people out there who know, who know those platforms way more than me. 
Um, and then if we think about the more mainstream platforms in Australia, it, it, we look at, you know, obviously Facebook is still one of the leading platforms, um, which has just been actually taken over by TikTok. Um, so TikTok's a lot of fun and um, but there's a lot of controversy around ownership in China and, and now data and privacy and all that sort of thing, which is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um, but it's also what I like about TikTok is it's actually connected to my interest in education and it's actually focusing on trying to educate people in small, fun ways of educating people on different topics. Um, so what else are we on? Oh, then we've got Instagram uh, as well, which is, you know, introduced threads, as you mentioned earlier, just to confuse us all. Um, Inst if we think about Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp all being owned by Meta, and then we've got you know, uh, LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft. And then we've got Google as a player in owning YouTube. They're ultimately all fighting for our eyes on their platforms. And why are they doing that? To sell advertising. So the more that they can actually get us engaged on their particular platforms, the more advertising they can sell, and that's where they're where we've, we're seeing, particularly with Instagram being very aggressive with um, you know threads and reels and things like that, competing against all these other platforms such as TikTok and YouTube. Um, it's yeah, it's interesting to see how these um, platforms are evolving because of because of that. Um, a little tip. Too, when um, any of the platforms introduce a new uh, tool, I suppose, or app or addition to their platform, they tend to support early adopters so that they can use that new tool, teach other people to use new tools. So if you want um, or are interested in social media management, you do really need to be an early adopter of these tools. Sometimes it can backfire. So I think, I don't know if anyone remembers, um, oh, what was the audio one? Oh, mental blank. But there can be tools that are fads rather than trends as well. Um, so being aware of not investing too much time because if it's a fad, there's no point because people aren't going to be using it in the long term but if it's a trend you, you'll get that longevity out of it and more and more people will adopt those new tools or, or platforms um, and then yeah and LinkedIn is definitely that more corporate salesy recruitment type of platform which has evolved I think they're doing you know not too bad they've they have recruited a lot of Facebook tech uh, developers to try and incorporate a little bit more of that social aspect, not just that co corporate aspect. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how LinkedIn will evolve. They haven't actually done anything uh, anything new recently, unless you've seen something, Kim, but 
Yeah. It's um, yeah. What about all the like these Pinterest and Snapchat, um, yeah. Telegram? Like, there's so many different ones. Like, are they all equally important? Um, okay, so Pinterest. I think if you've got a visual product. So I've got a client who does window furnishing and, and blinds and things. It's a it's a great opportunity to um, to promote your brand and the different products you've got. Um, and also, if you're looking at it from and this goes across all platforms, but if you're looking at it from a paid advertising point of view, there's a there's a balance of the the how big the audience is the amount of money you can spend and how the algorithms push those ad- ads out. So the, the return on investment with Pinterest is actually quite high um, because you can be very focused and niche on, on those advertising platforms. Um, Snapchat is, a, is an interesting one. Um, I'm still blessed to be able to... Have, watch my my kids on the maps. They, they let me see where they are. I oh, know some parents the maps are turned off, um, so uh, I use it for that a lot. Um, it's uh, a platform that I think um, I don't know. It got really really popular and it sort of died off a bit. But the kids tend to I shouldn't say kids the teenagers. Um, tend to use it for um, streaks and where they have to every day, you know, send a a, a snap to their friends and they have, they've gamified it. Snapchat's done well in gamifying a platform. So that's how they've kept those, the um, the teenagers on that platform. It's also amazing. Yeah. It's also a good advertising platform too for that youth group that's hard to access i love all the fun filters that they all have now too. Yeah. it's just so much fun and tiktok look i was so averse to it for so long yeah. now my children send me tiktoks all the time and oh, i forget cool. i've got them and then we sit down just even on the weekend gone i sit there and honestly in five six seconds you get this incredible story or an amazing visual or some powerful information or some quote it's like Wow, I can see why they're really, you know, it's it's engaging. It's very mm-hmm. interesting and it's fun and there's some powerful stuff there. But also people have made fabulous money off these platforms. True. TikTok in particular, I'm hearing a lot about of people starting a business, putting up pictures, showing images, doing the whole thing. And they've become, I wouldn't say overnight success, but they've certainly risen to influential and financial fame very, yeah. very quickly. Is that the case? That is TikTok the one that it's it's hitting all the boxes at the moment? Yeah, I would say so, absolutely. I mean, it used to be YouTube and, again, Facebook is trying to compete against these platforms in that space by you can actually choose to monetize your, your profile um, through the, the privacy settings and also um, Instagram reels and things like that. So uh, it... it it definitely TikTok is has been able to take the lead in that respect at the moment. Absolutely, yeah, it's it's powerful. And honestly, I feel so old when I 
when I have young people go, yeah, and then they do it all so quickly and then whip yes. up something on Canva and then chuck it onto this and do that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, they, they really are a fast-learning generation and quickly get the technology and very much understand it. I also know of people that are gamers that have made millions upon millions of dollars, have paid cash. One gentleman I know in particular you know, paid cash for a $3.5 million home in Belmain. What? He's a gamer. He's a gamer. And yeah, hey. That's amazing. I know. I know. And so when my son was a teenager, he always told me he was going to be a professional gamer. Well, I just laughed. I laughed until I met this guy that paid cash and he's just bought a second property as well, by the way. He does spend 16 hours a day gaming and people watch him game. That's how he makes the money or something. Forgive me if I'm sounding ignorant and old, but it just blows me away when I work so hard each and every day trying to get my beautiful little products into some people's hands, how much effort it takes, how long it takes for me to create a reel and understanding how to add music and audio and text and filters (laughs) and oh jeez I just I love it I do love it and I love the visual that's why Instagram Nikki got me onto Instagram at the very beginning and I took it on and did a photo a day from the moment Instagram started I've very gently done pretty much a photo a day most of the time since it started. And I now have around, I don't know, 14,000, 15,000 followers. My husband starts an Instagram account only three months ago, and he's already up to nearly 25,000 followers because he has a name already. He's got over 100,000 followers on Twitter. And I just sit there going, really? Really? (laughs) Do you know how long it's taken? I mean, he was an international cricketer, I'll give him that, but it just blows me away how quickly. Also, I've noticed the more controversial someone is or the more outspoken someone is, the Mm. more followers, because those followers that believe in what they're saying want to know more. Um, I've also seen incredible people shut down, even over this whole COVID thing was a real fascinating time to watch it's a plat- their platforms for us to have a voice. And yet if you're too outspoken or too controversial or, you know, you are against the norm or the narrative, you're mm. shut down. How do you feel that affects people when you, people you look up to and admire are then shut out? Is that corporations, governments trying to stop you following these people? Because it seems to have an incredible ability to influence people when you have a voice out there. Who do you mean by shut down? Oh, um, I know that people like well, Donald Trump was taken oh, off. Pete the, Evans was shut down. Oh, um, yeah. People that, you know, were controversial around, I, I know certain people here in Australia, if they had a comment to say against the narrative, mm. their Instagram page got shut down. Um, it's very interesting just that we're supposed to all have a voice and it's a democratic society and world that we live in and yet if you're not following some certain narrative, I, I, I don't know enough about it, but it seems to be that some people aren't allowed to have a voice. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, look, I I totally understand the, the, the point you're trying to make and it's it, it's such a, a vague, or not vague, sorry, blurry part of social media um do you and it is for every individual you know like how much of your public space or or your public face do you put on public and how much do you keep private you know like to keep 
the narrative going. Um, and, and that's a decision that each individual needs to take. When it comes to governments and the actual, I believe it was the actual platform Twitter that, that put down Trump, took off Trump, um, because he was actually going against their, um, um, what do you call it, their terms and conditions. So, um, and I'm not sure about, I did hear about the Pete Evans thing, but I don't know the whole sto uh, story around that. Um, and yeah, oh, look, it's all it's all probably dead material now. Anyway, I was just fascinated that yeah, these people thing. can have a huge following. They say yeah. a certain thing, rightly or wrongly, whether you love them or loathe them. That's not yeah. the point. I'm just I was blown away that they could lose their whole business, their whole following their whole identity if you like as to who they were online and not be able to have a voice online I found that very interesting um, Look, absolutely and that and that's the nature of the game right they're free platforms those platforms own everything we have the privilege of using them but we also have to accept that that's they're using our data to make money or to sell advertising and this is where I think the whole blockchain and, and crypto industry will shake it all up because there's platforms now like there's um, a, a blockchain website browser that you can use where you actually get paid to look at advertising rather than Google, Google getting paid for you to see the advertising. So it's all in crypto. Wow. Wow. It's the, it's an incredible world, and do you notice it's it must be changing daily? Must be incredible, just the new technology, the new platforms, the new people that are bringing these to light. Mm -hmm. um, one thing you mentioned a little bit earlier was some of these influencers buying followers, and oh, yeah. it's a fascinating thing, really, because ultimately, then someone buys followers, looks like they've got heaps of followers, they then get paid to advertise something or to do something. In your humble opinion, is it important to have a lot of followers or a lot of engagement? Oh, look, absolutely. The follow number of followers has nothing to do with it in the end. It's, it's more of a ratio of engagement and followers that we, you should be looking at. But also, and that's a, a why I started my research, is because the these micro-influencers have smaller audiences but they are, tend to be more engaged and can be more effective for um, for any brand who wants to engage a micro-influencer. But there's also lots to consider around using micro-influencers micro with regards to, you know, values and their history and do, does, it, does it all align with what the messaging needs to be for the brand and but not just for the brand, the micro-influencer needs to also be empowered and want to engage with that brand. Um, otherwise... You know, we're, audiences are not stupid. You know, they can see when something's not authentic, yeah. and when and also the platforms now have to be more open and upfront of when there is that paid promotion aspect to it, which is one of the good things that regulation will. I think actually, I don't think it's a regulation. I think it's just been a um, individual platform has endorsed that themselves uh, or enforced that. I should say. Um, themselves so that that's been a, a good update in recent times 
um, but absolutely ignore the numbers with regards to number of followers, look at the engagement and what they talk about. I also notice young people get a lot more engagement than someone my age. <laughs> and like, like I'll look at something, my daughter's, I don't know how many followers she's got or whatever on her business page, but it's, you know, it's a few thousand and she'll get something like 250 people liking it. I can have 15,000 and I'll get 70 likes. And I'm like going, wow, this is, is it because my demographic, are they more, are they more voyeurs than interactors? It's just it's such a. that aspect, yes. Is it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we seem to look at what's going on. We just don't seem to engage as much as uh, being older. But oh my gosh, this is such a massive topic. And I can I just congratulate you wholeheartedly for the work, the effort, the time, and the energy and the discipline you put into creating a thesis. I love the fact that you are a doctor. I love the fact that you have so much knowledge. I want to pick you to bits, but also <laughs> realizing and appreciating that social media is a way of sharing ourselves. It is a way of expressing who we are and connection and community and collaboration and uh, continuity of, of, of similar feelings and messages. And we know, for instance, if someone's, you know, going through a grief situation, you can look up, there's groups, there's support, there's unbelievable. I just, from a positive point of view, I think it's one of the most beautiful ways for people to feel connected and part of a community. And I just... I, and it's not going away, so we might as well learn how to be with it rather than fight it. But I, I'm curious from your point of view, as a personal person, someone who is an influencer in her own right with her knowledge and her academia and all the things that she does, you know, this podcast is about loving oneself. How do we do that through challenging times? And we've talked about trolls and we've talked about keyboard warriors and people that really aren't so nice on social media, but it is a place to really be your Self and in that context, I'm curious to know what is your definition of self love. <laughs> um, self love is something that I've actually only just it's it's become a very prevalent issue for me recently with um, some family issues that have gone on, and I've realised that I could do it a lot better. Um, I grew up in a household where, um, and I think that's why I'm in, in communication and I love communication and trying to support people in communicating their message is because I felt like I was um, in a family where, I, you know, you sit in the corner and you shut up until you're, you're spoken to and, um, and that is something that I do not want for my children and I don't want for other people. And I think... Social media gives you that chance to communicate. But I think we also need to realise that you need to communicate in person as well. So using it as just one of your tools in communicating and, and creating that, that self, well, and supporting that self-love and using it as a research tool to look at other ways people are doing things and, but actually doing it in person is where the self-love, I think, comes into it, not just doing it online as well. So it really is about connection then and connection. communication and personally. I mean, human beings, we are driven 
with an absolute need and desire to feel love and connection. So you can't just do that in paper or on online or with a card or a text. It must we we crave that personal touch. So are you saying to me that self-love is communication in person? It's actually respecting oneself enough to actually have a voice and communicate that with another and being your true self and and doing all of this in person. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, absolutely. Honouring your own message. And I think as I almost hit my my 50s as well, that confidence around um, not being such a people pleaser, uh, which I have been, and, and I see that as detriment to my self-love, learning to um, be please myself over making sure everyone else is pleased as well and communicating those boundaries about how I want to be or show up in the world, all these kind of, yeah, I've got a few things going on in my head and, like I said, it's all kind of new for me at the moment. I'm really exploring it, a new uh, direction around around that self-love so um that and that's one thing why I'm so grateful that you've given me this opportunity to to just talk about it and and try and clarify it for myself as well oh look I think we're ever evolving ever changing ever growing we're always given different opportunities where, yes. where we get to learn uh, some would say challenges and horrible things but some of us can say oh there's just another opportunity for growth that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> So one of the things that's blown me away also, beautiful Lisa, is this thing called AI, chat GPT, um, artificial intelligence. It's like it is a minefield and it is incredibly insane. I put in something the other day and it spat out a whole lot of information after my daughter showed me how to use it. And yes, one part of it wasn't quite as accurate as I would have liked it, but it gave me context to actually write an article. And then she said to me afterwards, Kim, mum, you could have got it to write the article for you. Lisa, what is this AI chat GPT? What is it all about? AI is has been around for a long time and it's just been working in the background. So Google and and you've got ChatGPT and there's a whole range of other ones that use different uh, types of technology. I was even on a, a webinar with Adobe as well and they've got new, uh, a new Adobe stock platform where it will actually... Uh, if you, you put in, I want a fluffy dog, it'll bring up a fluffy dog. If you want a, a fluffy dog in the rain, it'll bring you up, you know, and you can do that on Google Photos as well. So hang on, sorry, we're talking art as well as art words. As well. So yeah. Adobe is about art. You, if you wanted a drawing of a fluffy dog in the rain, yeah. it will draw that. It, photo, it'll pull up a photo. Of <gasps> yeah. Wow. And the good thing is about Adobe is, they only use their own royalty-free um, stock, whereas some of these other platforms, and this is what people have to be aware of, is even even text or images, they can still have um, some sort of copyright attached to it, even though it's thrown up, that information up to you. So um, running it through a plagiarism type 
platform is really important if you're going to be using it from a commercial perspective because it could really uh, affect your, yeah, you could get um, fined or, you know, um, in trouble around that type of thing. So you still need to go into it with and, and curiosity and awareness but you also need to be analytical when you're using these platforms either through visuals or text um the good thing about it is and because i'm actually writing a course that I'm teaching at Flinders University in South Australia for next semester all around using AI and um, I'm, I'm supporting the use of AI because, you know, we're all going to use it. When it. You know, you can't avoid it. It's just like when social media came about, um, it, it's there. There's people that are fearing it and then there's, there, there's those people that are embracing it and, um, and I think using it, from a critical point of view and using it to support learning that that critical skill or analytical skill is where is where this will be really advantageous for our students as well so that's how I will be approaching it in in the course um but yeah it it's amazing and can cut down on some of those menial tasks that um, that tend to take us a bit longer, especially for me. My writing things these days takes so much more longer than it should. But um, so it's insane. I love it. I think it's incredibly powerful. Even just as a tip or an idea to get started or to uh, to say something a little bit better. I've written a paragraph and then I've put it in there and said, write this better. And oh my gosh, <laughs> I yeah. don't even know why I tried even writing the paragraph to begin with, but it's, it is incredible. And again, something blowing me away as is digital printing of, of, lab meats and blooming um organs and things like that like seriously it's just it's a minefield imagine what our great grandparents would think if they could be alive looking at what we're doing in this day and age so lisa you're saying artificial intelligence is here to stay yeah oh absolutely absolutely there have actually been some experts in the field including elon musk who have asked people to slow down on developing this technology because it is developing so fast and and us as humans don't really know how to comprehend it and use it in a productive way there will be people who are using it in a in a negative way so again being wary um, but in saying that too, that reminds me, there's even um, scammers who are using our voice to say things that uh, we haven't said. So, for example, ringing up your mum and saying, mum, I need $2,000 right now, um, send it to my bank account. So we that's how artificial intelligence is being used in a um, constructive way, um, construction What's the word I'm trying to say? Destructive. Uh, destructive, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not constructive. No. <laughs> oh, wow. It's huge, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
But I, I do want to say to you, thank you for coming on. I know you've been through some tough personal times recently and and to, to complete your thesis through COVID and through all that time where there was such isolation and probably the perfect time for you to be putting in so much effort into something like this so all of us can benefit from it. I just publicly want to thank you and acknowledge you. You're a phenomenal human. You're incredibly intelligent. And I'm just so grateful to have women like you in our world. Thank you so much for all you offer and contribute. If people wanted to know more about you, your new book that's coming out, perhaps they wanted to um, engage you or they know someone who could do with your services, could you tell me how can we connect in with you? Uh, yeah, probably LinkedIn is the best. I'm focused on that at the moment. So um, you can just Google Dr. Lisa Harrison. I shouldn't say Google, put in the search. Um, I should come up there, but I do have a, a website, lisaharrison.com.au as well, um, which is a bit of a work in progress. Um, it's probably the first point. Well, you've been so busy studying. How have you had time to do a, a website as well and write yeah. a book? Oh, my gosh, and raise two teenagers. Incredible. <laughs> well, we certainly had a moment before we came on with the acknowledgement of your youngest baby turning 18 and just yes. what a transition that is for us women as our babes get ready to fly the nest. It's a very different, weird time for us mama bears. Mm. And so I would just love to invite you if – someone was listening to this and they're out walking in, well, you know, they're they're a beautiful soul who loves to listen to amazing men and women that we get on the show and particularly women like yourself. What would be your final message to the self-love podcast listener? And perhaps you could incorporate your favorite quote. Yes. Okay. So you did give me a bit of warning about this and I have had a um had some time to process it and I did when I was growing up my favorite quote was look before you leak leap but as I mentioned to you I see that now as potentially uh holding me back from jumping into something that could have been way more exciting and so um changing that uh context for me now is really important and and it's about um, listening to my intuition and and taking that leap and not being scared of leaping into something um, that might be out of my comfort zone Um, and I think also supporting that we and I talked about this a little bit earlier about having that plan b which will, uh, for me, having a plan B always supports, you know, that plan A. So even though that leap may not turn out, you've got the confidence to say, okay, that's fine. I'll just take a a pivot, which was a very (laughs) common word used during COVID. We all had to pivot. And I think I learned a lot, a lot from that time. You're a beautiful woman. I love you dearly. Thank you so, so much for being on the self-love podcast. Thank you, my love. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care.
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.